Continuing the celebration of Tweety at 80, there's a new trailer for King Tweety, which I'm dying to talk about, as well as so much more in the world of Looney Tunes. So, of course, you realize this means podcast. And welcome to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. With me today is such a, a wonderful pairing of collective pop culture and cinema-loving minds, and I can't wait to talk to them about Looney Tunes. They are the hosts of a wonderful podcast called Kicking and Screaming. Thank you for being here, Vanessa and Elijah. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having us. We're very sorry to anybody Googling that we're not Jenna Elfman and her son or husband, who also has a podcast of the same name. Yeah, we, we are the superior kicking and screaming podcast because we are the one that's about martial arts and horror movies. Yeah, the name exactly. actually makes sense for us. Change your name, Jenna Elfman. Yeah, <laughs> you don't talk about martial arts kicks or horror movie screams, so I, I don't know where that title's coming Damn. from. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're not here to talk about Jenna Elfman. <laughs> not on this podcast. We have before because she's a big part of a Looney Tunes movie. But... Oh, yes, she is. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. But yes, okay, not to well, be no confused shade. with No Shade, not to be confused with her show. But you guys have a wonderful show, and I want you to tell our audience about it. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's very much in the name. It's we love double features and the double feature movie experience because oftentimes it's not necessarily something that might be recent or new. Sometimes it can be, but it's always something that's very much programmed um, just for entertainment value. It doesn't really exist for a cycle. So yeah. they're my favorite audiences. They're people that are just there because they're very excited to either watch something for the first time or take in something very beloved and dissect it with like, like-minded folks. And we started the podcast during the pandemic. So it was very much something that we desperately missed and uh, we wanted to create that feeling. Um, and so Elijah's actually hosted a movie series called was uh, 30... 37th Chamber. 37th uh, Chamber. Oh, cool. It was a series that we would run out of uh, the Alamo Draft House in Colorado, where every month we would do a classic martial arts movie. And we would always open the film with a martial arts demonstration, which generally would be like, a very skilled martial arts practitioner would come in and kind of beat me up before the movie and be like, here's how you throw a guy around. Uh, I was, I, I would always pride myself on being the only host at the Alamo draft house who had to sign a safety waiver for his film series because nice. I'd be like choked unconscious and thrown around, uh, which was very fun. Yeah. And like my background was I'd been writing for Fangoria and, and had been on a sketch team, a uh, horror comedy sketch team called night church. And I was like the resident horror person at El Ray for a while. So it was, it was kind of kismet that these two things not only go together well, but that was like the individual things that we brought to the show. Um, even though Elijah's a massive horror head himself. And I ended up becoming a big martial arts fan by the end of the show, because like after a certain point, I've seen like at least a hundred martial arts movies. Uh. Yeah, my, my stealth uh, agenda with the podcast was just to force my wife to watch as many martial arts movies as possible. And, <laughs> and now I'm worked. annoying. And now I'm annoying. <laughs> Now somebody at work is just like, oh man, Kill Bill's great. I'm like, actually! Uh, <laughs> so thank you for making me the worst. Yeah, 
anytime. <laughs> I grew up on Jet Li, and you you recently did a couple of his earlier films, and I remember Contract Killer was big in my like high school years. Yes. And uh, yeah, like all those weird ones that you find on the dollar shelves, or you know, like hidden in Beth. One. In <laughs> oh, the one Black Mask, the like kind of like late nineties, early two thousands. I Jet wish Li. I could find Black Mask somewhere. <laughs> I was gonna bring up the one because you said that uh, recently that was uh, your favorite Jet Li movie up until that is, that I think is the last favorite. <laughs> that was my favorite, and it made Elijah mad because he's like, "There are better Jet Li movies," and I'm like, "Yeah, but none of them have down with the sickness." <laughs> this is true. This is true. So yeah. until that happens, the one is my favorite Jet Li movie. <laughs> I, I can't argue with it. You called me a shithead. it is it is so wacky but it's i mean like i mean talk about like ahead of its time it was dealing with multiverse and like all of the stuff that we are like being inundated with now in cinemas and it had jet lee playing 27 different versions of himself which are radically different yes yes absolutely i mean i i hadn't really considered it before but i do think that without jet lee's the one uh modern science fiction wouldn't exist <laughs> just, just saying it jet lee is, it. is a our like why can't i think of anything but l ron hubbard <laughs> that is the only science oh, fiction no. writer you jules verne my god jules verne, yes. uh, i could have said jules verne i i could isaac have asimov said, uh, i could have said isaac asimov aldous huxley i could have said aldous huxley i could have said ray bradbury but for some reason but the no. only science L. fiction writer i can think of is l ron hubbard <laughs> Oh, I've been living in Los Angeles too long. So yes, I highly recommend ch- tracking down this podcast and giving it a listen. Um, your chemistry on the show is one of my favorite aspects of it. Thank you. Because the way you answer <laughs> back and forth is so endearing. And, you know, it, it just feels like we're we're joining a conversation that has been going on for years. And it's so Thank lovely. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, of course. That's very so, sweet. Thank you. So you are a, Vanessa, you, you're, SNES is in your Twitter handle uh, yes. name. So you are a lover of video games, correct? Big time. Um, I actually used to write for X-Play. Um, oh, okay. I'm over at Attack of the Show now, but when I was at X-Play, I, um, I was very lucky because the summer that I was writing there, no new games had come out, which meant I wow. basically had carte blanche because it was, you know, an entire pandemic had just happened. Most developers like had put out everything that they'd been making at the beginning of the pandemic. And then there was like a huge gap in everything being delayed and then basically being pushed into this year. So while I was at X-Play, it was basically just this like season of nothing dropping except for like Psychonauts 2 and some other stuff. And I took that as carte blanche to do whatever I wanted for like the retro gaming yes. or, and, or, or like indie gaming. So like, I left before I had to write about anything new, (laughs) (laughs) which was very lucky for me because I was just like, yeah, I will write about Sonic 2 Battle till the cows come home. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I have as much to say about Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, And I mostly speculated on Elden Ring, (laughs) but I, I very much love gaming. I'm just not the hippest on it. Same, same. But you and I share a love for retro gaming. And that is why I have both of you on yes. to talk about 
every game we're not we're not going to go into every game listeners there's way too many there's actually over a hundred games i don't know if you know this there's over a hundred games with looney tunes slash tiny tunes slash animaniacs characters out there we're not touching on all of them we're touching on the ones that mean the most to us and the biggest one is the tiny tunes game buster breaks loose or bus loose why is it not called buster breaks loose it's bus And we're going to dive so deep into all of the mechanics of that, the story and what made that game so memorable for us as children. But also it's, it's really playable right now, like replayable. And like, I found it and I, I was like, wow, this game holds up. It, holds up shockingly well uh i had played it uh kind of kind of briefly as a kid honestly like as a as a kid it was a game that like my cousin had so i you know played it at his house a few times okay uh, did not get like very good at it or ever beat it and i didn't actually like go back and really put in the hours until uh i worked at a video game store like a retail place that sold retro games uh for years and so i would like come in and just kind of arbitrarily pick a title throw it on and you know play it on slow days and there was a period of time that we got really into Buster Bust Loose. So this was, uh, you know, maybe six, seven years back, not that long ago. And it holds up. It's like a legitimately great platformer by modern design standards. <laughs> it truly is. And the mechanics of the controls and like, it, it's so intuitive and you can just like pick it up and just run with it. And that's one of the things that Buster actually does is he has the ability to run up walls. And it's one of the best dynamics of the game. But I'm going to get into all of that with you later. First, we're going to talk about some Looney Tunes news. That encompasses a new trailer we have for a brand new Looney Tunes movie with a kind of bizarre take on Tweety and Sylvester and Granny. And this is called King Tweety. Bork, is someone here a long lost member of the royal family? Hey, that's me. Meet the new royal family. King Tweety, first of his name. <gasps> now this is for life. This pillar, this bird bath, this plush carpet is for me. Being king is the greatest. And it is written and directed by Kareen Ingle and story by Eric Adolfson. And the really fun fact there is Eric Adolfson is a documentary filmmaker. What? And he's writing a Looney Tunes movie. That is fascinating. What are, what, what are some of his uh, previous credits like in terms of documentary? I, I guess it wouldn't matter either way. My mind immediately went to like, oh, has he done nature documentaries about birds? <laughs> Which is like, right? still wouldn't make sense. That's, it'd but... be a better one-to-one though. Like, what if we find out that he was just like Genghis Khan? Like, I... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so he did a series on a, tra- a travel blog. The History of Comedy was one of his documentaries. Ah. And, and um, he was a producer on a short in 2009 called Civil, uh, which is uh, a it, it's around the end of the Civil War and uh, around the story of a young Confederate soldier and basically where the, the loyalties are tested 
um, for his very soul. So Much really, like the loyalty is between Sylvester and, and Tweety. Tweety. <laughs> <laughs> There's the one to one. There you go. There you we know, go. I haven't. I've always thought Sylvester is not unlike the Confederate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. There's the connection. You there we go. <laughs> and Curry Ningle is no slouch when it comes to animation. She was behind Unikitty uh, for Cartoon Network. Oh, um, wow. And she's also director on Jellystone as well as Teen Titans Go. And wow, that kind of has... explains a lot of the art style and choices in it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, the trailer, uh, it's a very like modern animation style, and it makes sense with right. like Jellystone, Teen Titans Go. It's like a similar kind of aesthetic. And cool. for me, when I watch it, I get little tones of the Sylvester and Tweety mysteries which that was a series in the early 90s. And that. I'm wondering if this is going to be sort of like a small reboot of that in a sense. Because mm-hmm. if this takes off, they could do this as a series. You know, actually, I'm very thankful I can finally say this on a podcast that actually knows what I'm referencing because I've brought this up a million other times. Um, it It's this dynamic that I love that very much like started on Looney Tunes that every iteration of I see it, but Looney Tunes did it the best of like Mark Anthony and Pussyfoot. Yes. Um, so uh, do you know Mark Anthony and Pussyfoot? Yeah. yeah. So thank you for literally the first time <laughs> in my life. I've been in a room with everybody that actually knows what You're I'm talking about here. when I say these things, because I say it to everyone else and they're like, what are you, what are you referring to? Um, anytime it's the dynamic of like big thing, have to protect dumb little thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's my favorite cartoon thing that I've never quite seen done as well as like when the small thing isn't even aware of like the danger that is present yeah. and, and Looney Tunes does that. Like, I think everything else like blurs the dynamic a little bit more in a way that like, doesn't make the consequence as funny as if they're not trying to get credit at any point. Right. 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 Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. So you think that dynamic is going to show up in this movie somewhere? I think a little bit, because that was something that I saw a lot whenever there was like the initial two pairings, um like i would say probably like at the beginning of that era of animation that i haven't seen as much since but i'm seeing it come back now um like there's a there's a few cartoons that i think of that like come to mind now as of recently that are like kind of similar like the last thing that i felt like that really did it and played with it was like the the parody intro cartoon in um roger rabbit because it was Roger oh, and Baby. Yes. Oh, right, so it yes. had like a similar, and like that's the last time I saw that like really mind that way. But lately with this new era of animation, because it's like cartoon slapstick has a place again, because you're getting like the scrunched in faces and like the very like silly hyper reacts, sure. you're watching that be like an interesting thing to mind. Yeah. Again. And uh, I, uh, forgive me, I have not kept up with. Uh, some of the more recent, like, Looney Tunes output. Uh, I've watched uh, some, but not all, of the shorts on, like, the Looney Tunes cartoons, sure. uh, HBO Max reboot. Uh, but the watching the trailer for King Tweety, it seems like the dynamic is Sylvester having to protect Tweety from, you know, potentially assassins on this island that are, yes. like, Tweety becomes the new, the new ruler, so there's now, you know, uh, political intrigue and assassinations. Uh, but I was like... <laughs> I, I had the moment of, I, I guess, two two immediate questions, like having not, you know, kept up with every, uh, you know, recent iteration. Uh, I was surprised by the aesthetic and the animation style. And I wanted to ask you, uh, Jonathan, if that, uh, if, if Tweety and Sylvester have 
looked exactly like this before or if this is a unique aesthetic to this film it is also... a very unique aesthetic to the, just this film oh okay see I, I want to talk more about that but also the the dynamic of sylvester uh being put in this kind of like uh yeah clandestine like guardian role uh apparently sure. you know protecting tweety from like assassination attempts is that uh like a dynamic that we've seen more of because they you know to my mind i'm like no he's, he's always trying to get tweeted right? yeah Ab- absolutely that's a fantastic observation from both of you and uh to that point no he's never been put in this situation mm. he is always the antagonizer to tweety mm. so having him in this role and also the introduction of all these dogs that's that's always a question mark because it, it's either Sylvester's going after Tweety and then there's a dog protect, protecting Tweety or there's a dog somewhere and they're a mystery player in all of this because we don't know what alliance they have. And it seems like from the trailer, which isn't a whole lot, the dogs are the guards and I don't see Sylvester going after Tweety so much in this trailer. So I'm wondering if they have a a false job title and they're actually working for somebody else. But yes, right, th- there's right. definitely a political intrigue to be had. Yeah. I'm going to random speculate okay. as to what I think the thing is. Okay. Because I thought of two things, like two pieces of cartoon media that have like done a storyline before that like this is giving me tones of. Um, one is uh, ah, dang it, I'm trying to remember the other one, but I remember the first one. One is Courage the Cowardly Dog, in which they're in the oh. future and everyone's a banana and they're ruled by bananas. Um, <laughs> do you remember? And then uh, he goes to meet the king banana, but the king banana is actually a monkey in a banana suit that's oh, been that's eating all right. of the other bananas. That episode is disturbing. That yeah, yes, yes, right. yes. So there's another one that's similar, and that is Five Will Goes West in which it's a <sighs> cat that's dressing up like a rat. Oh. And I feel like this might be like a something that is not a dog pretending to be dog thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That they're protecting. So I'm that just, because that's a cartoon thing that I've seen like done in cartoons do, before as like a plot line that you see every few years. Do you think it could be another cat or something? I think it could be like strings. another cat or like a bird that's like dressed up like a dog. Mm. You know oh. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Gonna be Intriguing. some twist there. That could be fun. Can I just and, say I love that you brought up Five Goes West? Like that is, <laughs> from my childhood, that is like, oh, that, that was one of the best animated going experiences I've ever had. I loved it so much. My mom was obsessed with all the Fievel series because that's how she explained immigration to me. Oh, <laughs> I like wore out that VHS tape as a kid. <laughs> so good. Did you also like have, was yours somewhere out there or are there no cats in America? No cats in America. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was uh, somewhere out there. Actually, mine's dreams to dream. Mine's dreams to dream. Because when I moved out here, I would listen to that every single night before bed. And it was it was my like motivation to get up the next day and like push forward in a film career. Oh. Bible rips. It does. does. (laughs) So as the as the more uh you know, uh, seasoned uh, professional of Looney Tunes media. What are what's what's your take on this trailer? I, I want to hear what you think of uh, this aesthetic first of all, because I my my first thought was like, is this going to be polarizing for like longtime fans? Because it the answer is yes. Was so unique. <laughs> <laughs> I can already tell you the answer is yes. My reaction was honestly sl- slightly soured. Uh, by the aesthetic of the character designs. Because whenever we think of Tweety, we don't think of like this gigantic weird head and the, you know, whenever they're shocked, they had like 
the the less descript eyes and it was just like two dots inside a a bowl of white and you know those little aesthetic choices were like i feel like this is aiming younger than what the hbo max show is going for and that was my first instinct of oh they're putting out content for tweety to also encompass fans that don't know they like tweety yet but they will um and so it's, it's you know bringing in a younger demographic which i am all about and obviously we have bugs bunny builders on the way that's a preschool show that's gonna have all the characters like doing construction and it's gonna be super fun but with this, I think you could go either way. I mean, with the Unikitty background, I know that they're going to go abstract and they're going to go like lucid dream sections. And those are going to be kind of adult. Um, but the overall storyline, I have no idea what they're going to do. But I'm very intrigued. And after having settled with it and sat on it and thought about it, I, I think I really like this direction. And the more voices we have in Looney Tunes, the broader of a stroke they can paint with these characters. And as I've always been saying, they're malleable. You can have Bugs Bunny in any world and he will conform to that world and make it funny and do his thing. And I think the same can be said about Tweety and Sylvester. So I am all about this and I can't wait to see how this story plays out. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Hearing you say, like, you know, you can take these characters and put them into, you know, essentially any any universe and potentially any kind of aesthetic or style mm-hmm. uh, just reminds me of uh, seeing old, uh, like, storyboard and concept art pages uh, that were, like, kind of uh, internal, you know, I think, like, Bible uh, pages for uh, classic characters like bugs oh that yeah talk about, like, the academy museum yeah and you know the the notes you know being like these are like the unbreakable proportions and here's you know like why they work here's you know why his feet need to be you know this big here's why his you know ears need to look like this or whatever and i remember like reading it and it felt like there was almost this like kind of mathematical formula of like here is why bugs money will always be funny and charming you yeah know? And, and reading it and like how those kind of you know uh proportions or mechanics or like pieces of design applied to you know like when you're creating a new character like here here are the boxes that you check uh it's it it was like fascinating to me because it really made me appreciate the degree to which they you know i like kind of like cracked a code with these characters that really does you know uh, like not not that there was ever not legitimacy to it but the the degree to which they're timeless and iconic you know, I think a lot of the time uh, it's it's easy to look at something that's been in the pop culture zeitgeist for so long and say like, well, yeah, it was it got there early. You know, yeah, right. it was like yes. it was like one of the first ones. So, you know, that's why that's why it was big. But, you know, you see something like that and you're like, oh, no, there's such a like thoughtfulness to the design and such a such a brilliance to the design of these characters that you can take Tweety Bird and put it in this very, uh, yeah, like very modern, you know, kind of Gen Z or even like Gen Alpha skewing animation yeah. style that does feel a little more like a teen titans go or you know so something that yeah it's very much not like our generation of animation uh but the characters still work and like the expressions Correct. still read and you're like yeah that's still that was Sylvester. tiny tunes for me yeah yeah that's, that's exactly tunes. what tiny that it's just it's just what tiny tunes is and it's why tiny tunes worked 
because it was basically like it had certain like universal these are looney tunes rules but also this is not bugs this is not daffy this is not like any of these so you get to like have these liberties because they are their own characters they just exist in that universe and they lampoon things similarly they absolutely like, they, they, it, the references were just closer to something i would understand and yeah by closer i mean like twilight zone references versus <laughs> Clark references right. but still <laughs> yeah well, they also had Michael Keaton's Batman show up in that show a couple times. That's they did. true. And so and they did pull from more modern pop culture phenomena that was mm-hmm. happening at the time. But absolutely, you have to have parody in a Looney Tunes property. And yeah. I think with the history that Sylvester and Tweety have, especially with that earlier show um, from the 90s, the mystery solving one, there could be an element of intrigue around something going on there as we've already discussed but yes i i wholeheartedly agree that there are certain things about these characters that if you hold true to such as tweety's baby talk like the the way that he's um uh, so curious but also so um bedazzled by everything in his world mm-hmm. like and whenever that's in the trailer you see that yeah, yeah it's the the earnestness and the awe shucks of it that yes. like keeps Tweety likable because Tweety, you you can see Tweety in so many scenarios in which like he would be the villain if it wasn't for that <laughs> just very like earnest kind of like oh geez <laughs> sure sure but uh to pair this new design with the some of the classic voice acting is a really smart move so we have friends of the podcast Eric Bowser and Candy Milo returning for Granny and Tweety respectively and Ooh. um yeah, and uh, oh, Eric is also doing the voice of Sylvester in this, so he gets uh, he gets both characters, <laughs> and uh, we also have um, voice actor Flula Borg, John Daly, and Clarice Burke uh, joining. John the cast. Daly, so, yeah. Nice. So there's some well, John there's Daly some and Flula Borg actually <laughs> heavy hitters. Uh, so yeah, I can't uh, I can't wait for this to come together. And it recently had a release date drop, so we can expect this in June. Very cool. Uh, now that we know that. One one last thing on the on the aesthetic for this one did did either of you get uh, kind of Ren and Stimpy vibes? A little bit from some moments in the trailer. Yes. Were like, yeah. Yes, were I did. A few beats that like it was like something. I think uh, Sylvester. Uh, I forget what what happens to him, but something happens where his face looks kind of messed up, like he gets hit. <laughs> he with gets a bones on the head, but like in a really gnarly way. Yeah, it's specifically another Ren and Stimpy moment, which is when the dog is beating him, and he's like bark, bark, <laughs> bark, 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 and like they're just saying bark instead yeah. of doing it. That yes. also like feels very, very uh, John K in that kind of set. That like very like I'm gonna say the thing instead of doing the actual onomatopoeia right, for it. Right, yeah. It's something I see more. T- like now too that i think about it like if you think about like doug and disney where it's arf it's not dog yeah noise. yeah all oh, right that's a good point but yeah the bark really stood out to me as well yeah. as like that's an interesting choice so we'll see how it all comes together but i'm excited to actually watch this so Same. that'll be coming to dvd i don't know if it, it doesn't have a hbo max release date yet but it'll be coming to dvd on uh june 4th 14th so we can look forward to that. And because I have a video game centered show right now, I'm going to bring up Multiverses. I haven't talked about this yet, but the trailer came out about a month ago and it has a 2022 general release date. So we don't know when, but it's going to be available on Twitch, 
PS4, PS5, H, uh, all the X- Xboxes. And uh, this is the first ever Warner Media uh, character brawler game that I'm so excited about because we finally have what we've always wanted Batman and Bugs Bunny teaming up to yeah. pummel <laughs> Harley Quinn and and Wonder Woman or, or whoever and, whoever and Arya Stark <laughs> and Arya Stark yeah are and there actual the... voiced characters in this yes so and they have yeah. a leg up on Nickelodeon already yeah so they are taking their time with this voices. one and one of the things that I really love is they have a mechanic in there where Wonder Woman, let's say you're on Wonder Woman's team and she wants to save you. She can actually go to the edge of the stage and l- rip her lasso around your waist and pull you back up. Yes, that's one of the things in this, uh, just from like a like fighting game meta or like game design uh perspective uh that does look interesting because there uh there are like a lot of character brawlers uh you know ever since like the success of super smash brothers on the exactly. nintendo 64 it's been a thing that like people have replicated because it's you know a pretty like straightforward fundamental template and so if you're any brand that has recognizable characters it's like oh yeah let's let's make one of those <laughs> uh so we've seen a ton of them but like most of them do not necessarily add anything new and there mm-hmm. are of course like ex- exceptions there uh you know some like uh indie games that have done like a very cool job of trying to like innovate with that formula uh but i was genuinely impressed to see that like from a company like warner that has such a huge stable of characters it would have been very easy for them to just you know say like yeah here's all our characters and it's a super smash brothers clone it, it does all the same things that smash brothers does so i i was genuinely impressed that there was uh any element that i had not necessarily seen before and the fact that it's uh this this kind of focus on like cooperative play and like team-based attacks so if you're having like a two-on-two fight different characters will have ways to like potentially power each other up to like yeah. save each other to like bounce off of each other in interesting ways it's and, almost like picking teams from mmo where it's like are you a healer are you a cleric like what are you bringing to the table right, right. right. and just even yeah. yeah just like in in a fighting game context knowing you know like okay if it's a team-based fight like i have these moves that can interact with your character in this way it does add like an interesting wrinkle to the meta of the game uh that yeah i was surprised to see because they genuinely like they could have you know made this game without any uh with very minimal effort. So the fact that like the developers are putting thought into like, no, we want unique mechanics. We want this to stand out. Uh, gives me some hope that it might be cool. Here's what I'm curious about. Like, what's that? I'm wondering what it's going to do for online gaming specifically. Um, Smash clones typically tend to do well for like the first few weeks when they come out, when it comes to like the online gaming circuit, because online gamers are specifically looking for something to dethrone Smash finally because Mm -hmm. uh, if if for those that aren't familiar um smash is like you know one of the funnest i mean not since melee funnest versions to play of that game but nintendo makes it notoriously really difficult to stream that game especially if it's not like two people in the same room um it it's it's no nintendo makes it very very hard to stream that game and to like really have um any kind of like stance or place when it comes to like online fighting game streaming versus other games that are like far better equipped to do so and also they're like they're the people behind them care more about that experience and so anytime there's a potential for a smash clone to dethrone they tend to jump on it but 
there was a hope that all-star brawl was going to be that because it also had a lot of the things that melee had that has been since left out not there um so if this game in addition to like the collaborative elements actually does a better job of delivering like the online streaming element and like the ability for like people in two different places to like play have the same experience and have it be more measured it might also have like contention in some like esports categories as well which would be cool that would be amazing i love the fact that this trailer starts out with tony hung talking about the the inspiration behind it and like how much he wants to have this game exist and like what he goes through to be like the team has been working on these different aspects because we haven't seen these aspects done in this type of game before. And we want to add that to the conversation, like like to the plethora of all these brawlers that are already out there. What if they could be better? What if they could do these things? And yeah. I really hope that it does not dethrone, but like join the conversation with smash as far as top brawlers. If you want to have a, you know, a character versus character game, mm-hmm. I think uh, that would be great. Same. And I, I always kind of go back and forth where like I have this very uh you know like I'm I'm an adult and I'm cynical so when I whenever a new one is announced there's the initial kind of rolling my eyes like oh another company is doing another Super Smash Brothers uh you know it's it's another kind of like boilerplate knockoff and also the the immediate kind of negative response to every realization of like which companies own like 60% of pop culture where I'm like Oh yeah, I guess they just they just own everything. We have a couple of monopolies. Uh, so there, there's part of me that immediately has a resistance, and then part of me that is still like 12 years old, and my mind is blown by like an arcade cabinet of Marvel versus Capcom, and I'm like, right. you can fight Wolverine now. <laughs> and so I I always you know almost want to be like, ah, this is gonna be dumb. And then I watch the trailer, and I'm like, it does look cool when Bugs Bunny fights Batman, though. <laughs> and, I, and I genuinely want it to be good. I want to, I want to love it. And, and they I, have Kevin Conroy as Batman. And they have yes. Eric Nauza as Bugs Bunny. I mean, like, they went out and got the voice talent. Like, if they're, they're the modern versions of these characters, and Arya Stark, as you're talking about, it's the actual actress from Game of Thrones voicing her in the game. It's top-tier quality, I think, is what they're going for. Yeah. yeah. I also, I appreciate that they have picked kind of like a cohesive art style for all the characters because you don't, right. you don't expect them to look uh, like they should share a screen together. Mm-hmm. Like when you hear the, the character lineup, you're like, that's absurd. And then you look at them standing next to each other and you're like, no, that works. There's like a Bible that's just like, these are the colors that are the throughs. These are like specific line work that exists in all of them that like, where it's like, okay, I believe you in, yeah. in that very, um, um, space jam kind of way right yeah, right yeah. yeah no absolutely it's a great point so it'll i need this i need this game to come out i need a release date yeah. <laughs> I mean. it, it also uh like when you do you know kind of put them in a in a similar enough aesthetic like a similar enough art style and design that i like you know that that it makes sense to my brain that i buy it when like batman is standing next to bugs bunny it makes you kind of realize that like you, you don't want to fight Bugs Bunny. Like, he's he's a contender. You know, for, it's like, oh yeah, he's like a gag character. And you're like, no, but he's he is very nearly omnipotent in a cartoon world. And so when you have Batman standing there in a cartoon character design, you're like, I think I think Bugs has the edge. Yeah, this man can take on all the powers of a Marx brother. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I also love that his running attack is this uh, fury of fists that flies. And that's the exact, it's very similar to Luigi's running attack. Mm-hmm. And I'm always Luigi in Smash Brothers. So I, I was like, oh, that's like near and dear to my heart. Nice. That's something that I feel like has been consistent with a lot of Looney Tune games, especially like watching a few old playthroughs of Buster Bust Loose, um, in which the SNES was such an era for like we have this IP and we're gonna use this IP and then we do we literally do not care about making it seem like it's of the same world yeah, when you're yeah. in it. Where it's just kind of like, yeah, it's the thing, but it looks nothing like the thing when it runs or punches or does anything or like any of its objectives don't feel universal. And every Looney Tunes games, like when the sprites are animated to like run or fight, it is following the same animation like Bible that exists for its own universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I I feel like uh, also in the like 16-bit era, Konami specifically was kind oh, of man. killing it with licensed games because yeah. they also did uh, the Adventures of Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, they were Sega absolutely in the yeah. league of their own. Just like they mm-hmm. really... Konami didn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> they, before the developers that eventually became Treasure left, and they were still putting out stuff like Contra 3. And, and they worked with Kojima? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now, Pachinko Machines. <laughs> but back then. Yeah, they make a lot of money on the Pachinko Machines. Yeah, they're they doing do. good. And the MOBA. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a fantastic segue. Let's talk about Konami. They put out four Tiny Toons games in the span of one year which is crazy, in 1992 in Japan. 1993 was when we got uh, one of those games, which is the main topic, uh, Tiny Toons Buster Bust Loose. And yeah, Konami, the the company that brought us Metal Gear Solid, once <laughs> once, a time, once upon a time had a, a life doing these IP, little IP games. But man, did they, did they, did they slap? They were... It's fascinating to me now because they were both intuitive for like the child that picks it up, Mm -hmm. but also in certain ways had like so much pattern memory and so much like possibility for game breaking that it like could also be popular with somebody that's like obsessed with Metroidvanias that's looking for something like similar because the game also had like multiple difficulties and the only way you could actually get the final ending was like that big one. So it was like a treat. Yeah, that was was something I actually uh, didn't didn't know about it until uh doing like research for this that Same. if you play it on the easier difficulty you just don't play the last level which is uh i think you know it's also it's it's a cool way to incentivize you to like gain a skill level at the game to like become proficient enough that you're like you know what i can play it on on the harder difficulties i'm ready uh it's it's cool that there's like bonus content for getting better at the game but it's also interesting to me because i feel like there are very few uh examples of that in video games where it's like the easiest mode isn't just that you have more lives or you have more health or you know enemies uh, there's less enemies but the fact that like there's entire levels that you don't play but they're right. just like no nah, that one's too hard <laughs> that was just like a very cool design choice the unique thing about that is in america we had a version that had easy normal and hard and in japan they had uh, the children level, the normal level, and they had a a challenge level, but it the, nothing was as hard as our hard, which is interesting. So they actually made the game easier for people in Japan than the people here, which is fascinating because I feel like uh, there's 
many instances of the reverse happening. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. There's certain cases where, like, in Japan, it's like the regeneration points are more difficult, or like you like don't take as much da- like don't do as much damage on this certain level, and you can only like have it in the Japanese version. So, yeah. I mean, I think maybe the the most uh, like notorious example of that was uh, Super Mario Brothers Two on oh. the NES. The oh. North American release was a different game entirely, which is why Super Mario Brothers Two on the NES here is super weird. It's <laughs> actually a game called Doki Doki Panic, yep. but they reskinned it with Mario characters. Uh, but it's the reason that it doesn't really play like any other Mario game because it's just a different game mechanically. And they did that because the actual sequel to Super Mario Brothers in Japan for the NES uh, was considered too difficult, and they oh, were like, wow. "No, American audiences will be frustrated." And so it was later released here uh, as Super Mario Lost Levels uh, that was included as part of a Mario All-Stars, which is like a compilation cartridge on the Super Nintendo. Uh, but yeah, like Lost Levels, uh, I mean, they were right. It's frustratingly difficult. It's yes. the one that had like the poison <laughs> mushroom that kills you if you pick it up. It's a very hard game. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting to me to hear like different, uh, I guess, publishers, schools of thoughts on different uh, regions. But sure. Someone, you know, at Konami was like, oh, the Americans love a challenge, but someone <laughs> yeah. at Nintendo is like, they'll never play this. <laughs> it's very interesting. I really ha- I, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall to hear those conversations, but I had no idea that that's what happened with um, Mario Brothers 2. Cause I always, yeah. I always thought that that was just like a fluke. Like, cause I love the third one and I love the first one, but that second one. <laughs> right. Two is super weird. All the enemies are different. You like stand on things and pick them up and throw them instead of jumping on things heads. Right. Uh, yeah. And their, their way of explaining it away is that uh, if you, if you beat the game, the final scene is Mario waking up from a dream and he's like, that was a weird dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, the final uh. level we're talking about here is you get to fight Plucky as a Darth Vader variant yes and so you have it's the cool a little like kind of star wars lead in star wars parody exactly and that's what looney tunes is known for so not only did they encompass the feel the vibrancy like just the, the creative game rewards and the mini games in this game of tiny tunes we had a bevy of characters that you could only find from this franchise in this game as well as endless replayability because it's so fun the mechanics are so easy it's so intuitive and i just i i picked it up and i was like oh i'm like six again like this is amazing i imagine this would be very appealing to speedrunners oh for sure because there's so much pattern memorization that you can actually like count frames per second and like set records for yourself on this Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure there's I, I'm sure there are like some records for it already. Yeah, some Buster Bust Loose yeah. records where somebody's just like, I know that if I like hit this thing and I bonk off this at the right time, I shave off three seconds. Right. Yeah. I always uh you, you mentioned it earlier, but the like wall running where you can just run directly up a vertical surface. Yeah, uh that which, wall dashing. Yeah, I love it because it's, you know, one, very cartoony. It feels, yeah. you know, it, it feels very at home in this universe. But it also is just such a fun kind of like unique traversal system because there I I remember like, you know, playing certain levels for the first time and almost like getting stuck for a minute before I remember like, oh, yeah, this is not this is not Mario. This is not Sonic the Hedgehog. I can run straight up. Yeah, (laughs) I can just go straight up a wall. And yeah, they, they did some really fun stuff with that design. I remember there were like portions that would be vertical scrolling where you have to you know kind of stay ahead of the camera essentially 
like mm-hmm. the level's chasing you and you're just like running up a little zigzag uh just very cool uh design kind of uh mechanics that really did set it apart from other 16-bit platformers at the time yeah uh, even no, like busters busters like primary attack rather than just jumping on enemies you have to jump and kind of time a little like backflip kick yes which yeah i thought was very cool because it makes it a little more active it feels a little more engaging than just jumping on them you have to like like there, there's a hitbox to it there's timing to it you know it feels a little more like action based which is cool i think that's the vania part of it yeah yeah mm. yeah and, you know, you, you had to be very careful where you're jumping to begin with, because if you're jumping underneath another villain, you'll get dinged. And, you yeah. know, uh, so that could be um, disastrous if you're not doing using it correctly. Or you have parts of the level that fall away if you touch it one time or like right, something there's... that'll like chip off and then something underneath that can shoot at you. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, one of the later levels uh, that's like kind of vertical. uh like climb where you're uh, up in the sky and you're jumping on different like bubbles and balloons and i remember yes. like the bubbles pop if you stay on them for too long yeah uh, very stressful level but really cool design <laughs> <laughs> and i i don't know i i was trying to recollect if i had actually gotten to that level with uh darth vader i don't think i saw that because so i don't actually think i played this game on hard when i had it i know i didn't i know i didn't um because that I'm was only, all new to me. Yeah. Like, I'm only now to a point in which I have the patience to, like, replay a platformer on a difficult level. Yeah. Because as a child, I was just like, nope, get me to the last screen. Uh. <laughs> oh, see, I I very much, uh, because we, we didn't have uh, a lot of money when I was a kid, we would generally have one video game at a time. And mm. I remember uh, there was... There was a pawn shop in our neighborhood uh, that would let us, basically they sold all video games for the same price, no matter what it was. Uh, So you could bring in a a cartridge for a Super Nintendo game and just trade it straight across for another one because they're like, "Ah, I sell them all for the same price. So we would basically have one game at a time and I would have to just play that game until it was time to, you know, take it to the pawn shop and swap it for the other one. Uh, but because of that, I would like obsessively play every game that I had. So whenever I owned something, even if it was a super difficult and obnoxious platformer, I'd be like, well, this is this is all I've got for six months. So I have to play it. So, <laughs> so did I'm you not... reach that last level? Uh, so the, the, because I still have that like, you know, kind of ingrained mentality of if a game is punishingly difficult, I'm like, well, I, I've committed to doing almost obsessively. Uh, in in the game store days, we did make it to that last level, and I can say that last boss fight, uh, I hate it. <laughs> it's, I, think, I think it's very like it's very cool and creative, uh, as I think all of the boss fights are. Each one kind of has like a unique, you know, way uh, to to damage them. Yeah, uh, I would also call it punishing. I would call it punishing. Uh, <laughs> it is. It's so frustrating uh, because it's not, uh, or was not for me, like immediately intuitive how to do anything in this you know it's like a single screen where he has a big gun that can spin around and you can't like always attack him directly you have to kind of hit the gun to spin it to hit him but yeah i remember i I was uh i would get to that boss and then be confused and frustrated uh (laughs) quite a few times before i like before i had it dialed in uh, I was just vibing off the soundtrack. Oh, great soundtrack! It's, lose. it's it is the perfect example. Not it makes me think of 
like Scott Pilgrim soundtrack being yes. pulled to Anamanaguchi being pushed to game. Yeah, yeah. And it being like so perfect in universe for each thing. And I feel like this is like the perfect like what if suddenly the Looney like the Tiny Toons were digitized? Yeah, yeah. No, like a chip tune Tiny Toons soundtrack. I've got to say, all the games we're going to be discussing today have killer soundtracks. Like, mm-hmm. th- like I don't know who's in charge of music for all of these, but they really went hard, and it shows because I'm. I, I think I'm going to make a compilation of just like the best sounds and like make, <laughs> make their own like um, yes. mix. But it's oh my, it's so good. It's Send so me that good. playlist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Th- to bring in a horror element, there's one character that only showed up in one Tiny Toon episode, and for whatever reason, they have appeared in multiple Tiny Toon games, and the digitized version of this character freaks me out. I don't know <laughs> if you uh, <laughs> if you need to pull up a photo, but Dr. Gene Splicer is a mad scientist in this world, and I swear to you, it's a parody of somebody but I cannot place it, and nothing online has the parody, oh. but this character digitized scared me as a kid. <laughs> Let me see. We're pulling up the, uh, the image of Gene Splicer now. It is so I'm, scary. I wonder, do a, you know which which games he's appeared in? Do you, uh... He has appeared in... Well, it says... Uh, he's Bust, in Buster Bust Loose for sure. He's, Buster uh, Bust Loose. second boss fight, you fight his monster. Yeah. Yes. And he is also in the the next game we're going to be talking about, which is Buster's Hidden Treasures, uh, which was on Sega Genesis. What is? Oh, she just pulled up a, a sprite. Of I Gene think Spicer. I know. It's because he looks like a villain in a Japanese kids' morning show. I was gonna say the oh. reason I was asking specifically which games. My guess, uh, because this was not uncommon at the time, uh, a lot of uh, Japanese developers would have this tendency to kind of uh, latch on to characters who, regardless of, like, popularity in the West, uh, aesthetically, you know, they felt would appeal to, like, the local Japanese audience. And I think, you know, because this was pre, like, internet, before uh, culture was as, uh, you know, readily available in different regions, uh, so they wouldn't necessarily always have the same metric for, like, oh, which characters are popular, but they would take the aesthetic of one that's like, oh, this looks like, you know, a, a Power Rangers villain, yeah. essentially. You know, this sure. looks like a like a common writer character or something. And so they they would latch onto it because uh, it, it's fun. There's a lot of like uh, 80s and 90s media where you will find out that like the most popular character from that franchise in Japan is like, oh, that was a dude who was in one episode of the first season, yeah. but there's so much merchandise in Japan <laughs> because publishers over there were like, no, this is the hit. This is the character you want. I have a question. Yes. I think I might have landed on what could be the thing about Gene Splicer. Were you also afraid of uh, Angelica's dream little brother on, on the Rugrats? I want to say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like the giant baby and he had like a shirt oh, that's like big boy yes. on it and like mm-hmm. okay. um gene splicer and said baby have two things in common and that is human lips on a cartoon face oh, oh. That's, that's why i found theory. both good observation and if you think there are other car- there are like other characters and things that are also equally upsetting and it's when you put human lips on a cartoon oh. guy face so you get kind of an uncanny uncanny valley thing. a little bit yeah because like they're it. not like 
they're not like Jessica Rabbit puppy because even those are still like cartoony in a sense. Yeah. These are like hyper detailed, portioned to the face, but feels wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you know who they would do this a lot to, and they would do this to like gross you out. Huh. John Dilworth on Courage the Cowardly Dog. He put human lips oh. on anything he wanted to make you make like extra unsettling. That's right. That's right. Wow. Oh. He would do like kind of a mixed media thing where it would be like live action. Oh yes. You well, know? he would either have a mouth or he would draw oversized human lips on like right. villainous characters. Yeah, Angry Orange always freaked me out too. Yeah. oh yeah yeah no i you know very much i think was was too old to be in the demographic for that at the time but i remember like the first time my niece was like this is a thing that i like i was so horrified a friend voiced something on that oh that's right uh, cast cucumber on it yeah. oh nice so so yeah this game this uh character shows up twice after only appearing in one <laughs> tiny tunes episode but you know um before we leave uh, Buster Bust Loose, I just wanted to talk about the Wheel of Comedy, um, which is a the phenomenal little um, way to get us into these mini games. And the the way the mini games are set up in, I want to say, all of the Tiny Toon games is just so intuitive. Like it, I, I, I don't want to use the word intuitive anymore. It is, it is so fun <laughs> and uh, such a such a great way to make kids keep playing the game, but also be immersed in that world even more because this couldn't happen in a Mario game or it couldn't happen in, you know, something that's not based on a cartoon property. Like, and the way that it utilized um, just like chance or, or like puzzle solving the, the little things that it did. And this is even, um, or or this goes further, even in uh, wacky, uh, wacky, the wacky games, um, which is another tiny tunes game that I, I loved. And, um, you, you know, they, they, they really took their time with how would a, a Tiny Toons game interact with a child player who is obsessed or, or who likes the show? And I feel like they did a good job. And I also feel like Steven Spielberg had to have had a hand in the creation of some of these because he was all about the franchise and he wanted to pump it into our veins as kids. And, you know, it, I, I think they did the best job possible with this. I, I oh, agree. agree. And I uh, just to just to take it like a step further into the the video game geek uh, yeah. angle of it. Go for it. Uh, the the team that was you know developing a lot of like the licensed uh, kind of like French or like IP based uh, titles at Konami uh, at the time they uh, eventually left Konami to start their own uh, development studio called Treasure. Uh, and Treasure, uh, for you know anyone who doesn't know, is uh, very like very well respected and well regarded uh, kind of indie developer who, throughout their you know uh, existence uh, as as a company, have created a ton of uh, like cult classics and just really like beloved titles, um, including a later uh, actually I think the last Tiny Toons game, uh, Buster's Bad Dream, uh, or. Oh. It, which was a Game Boy Advance, I believe. So um, a bed on the cover? What's that? There's a bed on the cover. I think cover. there's, yeah, yeah, like yeah, a cartoon bed. Yeah. Um, and so Treasure, you know, eventually developed that as well. Uh, and they did, a, like, the Ronald McDonald uh, side-scroller, which is pretty fun. <laughs> uh, but so it had been, like, that team at Konami that was, like, known for kind of doing the licensed stuff. And the things that they did with their own... Uh, kind of like standalone titles that were not based on any existing IP. And their, their whole business model was basically like, 
we'll take the money to make like a Tiny Toons game. We'll take the money to make, you know, McDonald's game and we'll make the best game that we can. But then with that extra money, we will make our own thing with our own original characters that will be super weird. Uh, and all of the games that they made uh, kind of free from any, you know, creative control or constraints. Uh, the thing that they're sort of the most well known for is basically packing as much uh, like variety and kind of like ingenuitive design into a small space as possible so like uh, every level having you know a twist on whatever genre you're playing introducing a new mechanic that only gets used in that level you know you're playing a side scroller and suddenly it becomes you know like street fighter for a second and then one level you're like flying a plane or whatever and so it would really like pack in this this level of variety uh you know and in the boss fights as well just creativity and just trying to put like as much bang for your buck as they possibly could into like every square inch of it and i feel like you really see like the beginnings of that philosophy in buster bust loose because every level is like a completely different you know like scenery world soundtrack you have like the cowboy western level you have the one where you're playing football and it like feels like a different game you have the star wars level and the fact that you know it's i i think a relatively short game if you're playing straight through it but there's so many different mini games. Each level is so unique that they like really packed a lot into it in a way that like holds up. It's genuinely one of the better platformers mm-hmm. of the 16-bit generation. And the fact that it's like based on Tiny Toons uh, makes it more rad. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And IGN ranked it the 99th in their top 100 SNES games of all time, praising oh, the game yeah. for its impressively varied hop and bop platformer. And yeah, it's only six levels, but like the the enduring lasting uh creativity that is injected into this game really sticks with us yeah that's why we're still talking about it today (laughs) so next we have another game that is in the same era and that's buster's hidden treasure uh this game was uh wildly praised for its use of um the the way that the bonuses happen and like the the mechanics of again the mini games i'm gonna praise the mini games for all of these because they're so wonderful um well it's like putting a mario party in a mario platformer yes and honestly uh i think tiny toons did mario party before mario party did mario party because tiny toons adventures wacky sports challenge came out a couple of years before Mario Party and mm. had all of the kn- known characters, Dizzy Devil, Babs, Buster, Plucky, and Hampton, like playing uh, essentially Mario Party games. And this was prior to Nintendo doing that. So I, I think a Hydrox that... Oreo situation. Yeah, Ooh. right. Yeah. <laughs> there's There's been a few of those because I remember uh, they had a... Uh like a Looney Tunes kart racer on the Dreamcast that mm-hmm. was Space like, race. genuinely a fantastic kart racer. Like they, they ported it to later consoles and like the, the ported version for like the PS2 and such was not as good, but the, mm-hmm. you know, the Dreamcast release of that yeah. was a legitimately great kart racer. And I feel like, you know, it was something that like other more mainstream kart racers definitely took some design cues from, you know, like the, the Mario Kart iterations of that, you know of that era it's like no looney tunes like did did innovate in some of these video game genres and though the characters in that game are cell shaded animated so it really sticks out and it's it's completely unique in that respect 
I I miss cell shading. I feel we we don't get enough good like cell shading. Mm-hmm. Me too. Why did Zelda kill that off? I don't know. I know. It was so good. <laughs> I feel like that was like... the last one. <sighs> yeah, so good. Borderlands. Oh, oh that's Borderlands. True. Borderlands yeah. is yeah. Borderlands is like the the current kind of triple yeah. A cell shaded. Yeah, we should play that new one. Anyway, <laughs> I'm so obsessed with Borderlands. Right, but Buster's Buster's Hidden Treasure. I'm I'm immediately pulling it up because I know that I've I know that I've played it, but I did not I did not research it specifically ahead of this, and I apologize. Here's, so. here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull an audible. This is going to stay in the show. Um, we are going to talk about any video game featuring these characters that you have a connection with, and I will go first because the first video game I ever beat was the Bugs Bunny Birthday Bash for nes oh Oh my god i just remembered that game i was three years old and it was the first game i ever beat from beginning to end and i loved every second of it because it had bug you were playing as bugs bunny and you you were literally like five pixels but you were bugs bunny and you're going through this level and you would run across yosemite sam you would have villain battles with foghorn leghorn daffy duck Porky Pig, all of the characters were there to celebrate bugs, but in the level themselves, they were the boss battle. And I took it entirely seriously. And I saw like my, I used my little three-year-old imagination and it was not a, a little pixel running on screen. It was Bugs Bunny coming across these characters and doing battle with them. And oh my God, I adored that experience. So much so I'm, that I have a podcast about Looney Tunes gaming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm so glad uh, to hear you describe that because I feel like I very much did the same thing. Uh, I yeah. have the like, you know, maybe overactive imagination that I, you know, I'd be playing uh, an eight bit or sixteen bit game, and in my mind, the the actual you know reality of what is happening is so much more intense. Like exactly. all of, you know. And and uh, yeah, I, I think that's why uh, I also gravitated a lot towards like uh, JRPGs at the time, like Final Fantasy, Chrono okay. Trigger, Earthbound, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, because you know it's very like simple sprite graphics. A lot of like the combat, you know, it's turn based, and you just select you know attack from a menu of you know options, right. and then your your sprite just kind of crashes into theirs, and some numbers show you how much damage you did. But in my mind, I'm like, this is an incredible battle. This fight is so cool. <laughs> these guys have have these swords. That guy's on a horse, you know. And I, I would do that with yeah, anything. I to the point that I like looking back at a lot of games from that generation. It almost in my mind is like this was the the impressionist era of video games where the yeah. animation, you know, the level of like pixels on screen wasn't able to like really convey, you know, necessarily that much. And it almost required some goodwill from the player being like yeah i'm in this i'm i'm filling in the blanks in my mind right that's that's Sorry. incredible i was trying to look up the name of the one that i liked oh what was what it? Is it um i was confusing it because it had a different name than the one that was the north release north american release one mm-hmm. um and i'm pretty sure i played this in central america so it was called sheep dog and wolf yes oh is is this the, the the wily e. coyote it's called PS2 sheep raiders yes sheep raiders that game was so good that's why it took me a second to find it because i was just like i knew it was sheep dog and wolf over there um it's sheep raider here that was my favorite one because that introduced me to stealth gaming 
Um, nice. <laughs> specifically, like, getting sheep past Sam was yeah. how I, like, learned. It's how I learned to play Assassin's Creed um, until <laughs> right. eventually, like, an Assassin's Creed happened. Um, That's but incredible. Because I, um, I, I remembered playing a few Looney Tunes games, but there weren't, like, enough that I put, like, that much time into other than, like, Buster Bust Loose. And I'm like, no, Sheep Raider. I actually did, like, enjoy Sheep Raider because um, I got my brother's PlayStation after he got a ps2 uh-huh. so for me it was like whatever is left over and he also like didn't want to give me any of his games so that was one of the few that i had found at a place called um it's not game crazy but they had a name ripping off game crazy because they were across the street but they were an independent seller whoa so, oh, like game sanity or something <laughs> i think it was just like game lunatic or like game something like that Uh but they were better than game crazy they were very very good and they had an incredible like trade-in value that was just unbeatable and that's how they were able to like match them and that was one of the games i traded in because i didn't know anything about games so i was just like all right playstation i've got um sheep raider and uh purple dragon (laughs) (laughs) and uh i think that's all i need Dinosaur? Let's do dinosaur. Honestly, though, I you saying that Sheep Raider was your favorite, like, it might also just canonically be the best Looney Tunes licensed game. I think it's received that way, typically. It, it's very good. Sticking I, with IGN, they gave it an 8 out of 10 when it came there out. There you go. And it is, it is highly praised online uh, through th- uh, playthroughs, as well as just the reception overall. And I still see people talking about how great that game is everywhere on social media. Um, And also, it is a really rare game to have a side character of Ralph and Sam. uh, They they are the sheepdog and wolf um, characters in Looney Tunes where uh, Ralph is usually uh, confused with um, Wile E. Coyote because they have similar uh, attributes. But Ralph has a red nose and Coyote has a black nose. (laughs) That's how you tell them apart. And um, in this game, you have Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd, Yosemite Sam, Gossamer, Toro, and Roadrunner going up against Ralph through different things. And then Ralph goes to space and battles with Marvin the Martian. It's like insane. (laughs) I remember the space stuff and being like, what game was I playing initially? And then another game also did that to me. Rugrats. Rugrats goes to space? It eventually goes to space. You find out that it's a dream. But uh. like, at, like at one point, I was like, I was downstairs, hiding from a dust bunny, and now I'm in space. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being in the space level because there's like a lot of float mechanic to it. Oh. Um, but yeah, I remember at one point being like, "How did I get to space? I'm a baby." I uh, I was thinking about Sheep Raider recently uh, because uh, ahead of this recording, I was watching the uh, kind of uh, the. One of them is sort of uh, video game referential. The other is less uh, video game referential, uh, but has a video game reference in the title. Uh, but of the Looney Tunes cartoons on HBO Max, uh, yeah. Portal Combat, and the uh, there's like a virtual reality episode that I forget the title of. Uh, but specifically the the Wiley and Roadrunner short Portal Combat, uh, I was I was watching that, and I was thinking like, you know, I would love a game that like really let me cut into like acme items you know a game that like really played up mm. that angle like i would love you know like a triple a like high def 4k 3d 
Wiley e. Coyote Roadrunner game where I get to, you know, build and play with these different absurd contraptions. And then I had that thought. I was like, wait, there was a game that had like some ridiculous acne items and it was it was Sheep Raider. Sheep Raider was the one that like yeah. actually let you play with some of that. And I think that was the last time that we really, you know, got to explore like that angle of like the ridiculous like technology and items of the world that I, I think they should mine more. There's so much good stuff. I'm so sorry, Looney Tunes. Huh? I'm so sorry, Looney Tunes. But, but for both weapons, writing, and performances, and honestly, animation, the best Looney Tunes game that exists right now is not Looney Tunes. It is Ratchet and Clank ripped apart. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good point. It's a very good You're point. You're not wrong. Ratchet and Clank ripped apart when I played it recently. Like, clearly it's all inspired by Looney Tunes. Like, clearly yeah. it's very, like, Looney Tunes-inspired performances and comedy, like, right down to, like, oh, my God, my best henchman is taking maternity leave. Like, the kind of, like, humor that's injected to it and, like, the kind of cartoon violence that exists. Mm-hmm. But, like, the weapons, what they do, how they're designed and how they work, the fact that you have a sprinkler that turns people into topiaries, the fact <laughs> that you have a gun that talks back at you like it's your ex-wife, like... <laughs> There are so many, or like the the character of Mister Fun Guy, who's a fungus that's a fun guy, but he also poisons everyone. Um, so much this. of the Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart universe, and and Ratchet and Clank in general, is like if Looney Tunes got AAA money. Yeah, wow. it did. Yeah, the weapons do feel very acme. I remember even going back to like the first Ratchet and Clank. There's a gun that would turn people into chickens, and then you could suck the chickens up and launch them at other enemies. There's a commercial oh, yeah, for it I that remember I remember. That too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you for and, bringing uh, that to the conversation, Vanessa. Absolutely, like, yeah. inspired inspired games also have a part in this conversation of like, yeah. oh, I totally saw, and there there have been. Uh, overlays through all of these that are like oh it's mario brothers or oh it's sonic just with looney tunes characters but yeah let's definitely like talk about like oh it's a a looney tune based uh character dynamic or like the humor is so ingrained and you know i i would be remiss if i didn't bring up conquer's bad fur day because we would not have conquer's bad fur day without looney tunes first a hundred percent yeah i i always forget that that angle exists too that's the very like what if Looney Tunes was edgy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, yeah. exactly. And and they parody. And my favorite part of it is they parody the Matrix. And like, yeah, you could never have. Parodies. You could never have a parody in a Looney Tunes property uh, from that era of the Matrix or something that was rated R for kids. Right. Um, even though they snuck one in for uh, Space Jam with that Pulp Fiction one. Yeah. But um, yeah, like having those out there also add to the conversation. So you know, either it be raunchy or, you know, tame like Ratchet and Clank. I'm so glad that these games exist and these franchises are still going. Like there's Ratchet and Clank is still strong. And yeah, they just had its first new game in a minute and it's um bragging. So it's my first my first review I did for X Play was Ratchet and Clank Ripped Apart and I've played many games on the PS5 since and I cannot tell you another game that is more perfectly developed to use all all everything that completely encompasses like the features of why you would want a ps5 like ratchet and clank Rift apart does because it really does do like the fourth wall breaking that other games can do but it uses all the mechanics of the ps5 by like integrating like the volume in your controller and like the haptic response to where it's like cartoons are real now like it it has that like breaking the fourth wall in the most literal sense by using new technology and so it's the kind of thing like wouldn't exist without looney tunes but also if you have a ps5 sometimes you'll play certain games and you're like this is amazing 
why is it worth having a PS5 for? That is the one game yeah. that proves to you why that console is worth it. And it's because it like uses Looney Tunes mechanics to, I don't know, bring gaming to that level of like connection that you'd only have when Bugs would look at you, the audience member, and like pull down a screen or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or cut the scissors of the film and walk out. And be yes, like, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because like the fact that That's the game is <laughs> such a good bit, <laughs> so good. and like I love seeing it come up in things like Gremlins, where like yes. it, it had like a similar like influence. Because Joe Dante oh, was like, I want to make. I forgot the the Gremlins two opening with Bugs and Daffy. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I forgot about that. Yeah, um, that's good stuff. So you see it a lot <laughs> in like those universes where like it was somebody that was like, I want the viewer to know that I see them, uh, and anytime it's like a piece of media like that it can't help but be like but this it's because we're doing looney tunes yeah first of all congratulations on doing that the the article and like covering that game second of all you you just sold a ps5 so i'm gonna (laughs) go buy one Amazing. Honestly, Rift Apart and um, it's so fun. Actually, Astro's Playroom, which is the game that it comes with, is also really it's very fun. There's a lot of good PS5 stuff. We'll we'll talk PS5. (laughs) Um, But Rift Apart is is like the one for that because they even have the villain in villain song saying like a villain song at the end, which is fantastic. But the most like everything is cartoons part about it is like the universal traversing thing. Oh yeah, you're like going through portals for dimensions and stuff. It's it's super cartoony. Uh, oh, wow. Captain Quark is a Looney Tune. It's great. Captain Quark I... is every like Looney Tune superhero. It's true. <laughs> I I also uh, I don't know I don't know how much time we have. I don't know how long an episode generally is, but I want to talk about Buster's Bad Dream. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it's uh, only because I I consider it like a very uh, underrated or or overlooked entry in the Looney Tunes, Tiny Tunes uh, video game canon. I'm going to say it absolutely is. Yeah, I I don't think that it was uh, like super well received at the time because it it was a budget title. Uh, It was, you know, like uh, developed at a lower budget and also released, you know, not as a like full cost title initially. Uh, and it and it shows it shows its budget, uh, but it was yeah developed by Treasure uh, developers who you know I've talked about who I love, uh, but the the choice that they made with it uh, I thought was very cool. They didn't uh, go with like the traditional uh, kind of like platformer um, you know or like run around collect items uh, or you know like make difficult jumps like you know Buster Bust Loose, which is uh, I. A, a superior game and i love uh but something that i thought was interesting is that they instead kind of leaned into like the slapstick violence angle and realized like oh we can just make an action game like we can fully just make a side-scrolling beat-em-up with tiny tunes characters because that exists in that universe as well right and so uh it had a really fun kind of combat system that was based on like uh very cartoonishly hitting enemies into other enemies and kind of like juggling them around the screen and bouncing them around the screen. Uh, yeah. And it just had like a very, it's like a, a simple game, kind of kind of repetitive because you're just beating people up at every level. But there was something so addictive to me about this combat where it just like, it it's hard to explain, but it is rewarding on a very like uh, tactile level. The game just has this like kind of friction where like when you're bouncing enemies into other enemies, it is just like very captivating. It feels uh, like the, there's some like tangible feedback to it. 
uh, and they that developer later took kind of the same system and with with a higher budget did a uh, an Astro Boy game called uh, Omega Strain, I believe. Omega was also Factor. On the game Boy oh, Omega Factor. Thank yep. you. Yep. And uh, yeah, the the Astro Boy game because it you know was a little higher budget, a little more polished. Uh, that one is like very you know beloved and got like a lot of critical praise but everybody kind of slept on buster's bad dream and i think it's worth playing it's like very fun character sprites very cool graphics and just a really addictive uh yeah combat style like for for my money it's like compulsively playable i remember just like playing through it a couple of times knowing that you know i'm not like unlocking anything new i'm not trying to speed run it but there's just something about being buster and just like just wailing on guys it was so addictive <laughs> well what's interesting actually that you, that you brought up astro boy uh omega factor is that uh that was essentially a a continuation of the game mechanics that were introduced in this game and th yeah, this game yeah. was released in 2002 and it it basically had a unique fighting style because it used a partner system and the partner system allowed for characters That's to right. interact with each other in different ways, but it was well, also a side scrolling <laughs> action. Right. Yeah. It was, it was fun because you could select like from, you know, a, a little roster of characters who you wanted your like assist to be. And they each had a different little attack that they would jump in with, Yeah, which, which gave it some replay value. It was really fun. I, I would always pick Babs. I don't know why I'd like, because she's the best. Because she's the best. <laughs> she's she's the, best. the best. But also, like, you know, you got Buster, you want Babs in there. She hosts yeah. my favorite uh, Tiny Toons special. Which one? I know which one. But Are you talking about Night Goolery? Night Goolery? Yep. Yeah. It's my absolute favorite one. Because uh, it's also one of the best examples of, like, Tress McNell as Babs doing something else over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is me as Babs doing Rod Serling. This is me as Babs doing this. Uh she does that a lot as like the Rod Serling character going yeah. or me as Babs doing Rod Serling doing something else like <laughs> it, there's so much like specific Tress McNeil voice work in that that she just like puts on display. Yeah. Um but also I'm a big horror movie fan so the fact that the tiny tunes are just doing my favorite scary movies. Ling, 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 ling. We all so bow down to Tress McNeil. She's incredible. Yep. And also some sad news, this game was going to have a sequel, but it was canceled for unknown reasons, and it was going to be called Tiny Toons Defenders of the Universe. Oh, I'm so mad cool. that we didn't get that what sequel. What could have been? What could have been? Oh, wait, wait. I, I, know, I know about this because it was, uh, yeah, it was a treasure title, and because I'm such a, you know, uh, fan of theirs yeah i remember looking at it at the time they had released uh a fighting game like kind of an arena brawler uh similar sort of to power stone on the dreamcast if anyone played that i love uh, power stone yes. power stone 2 especially power stone 2 is incredible yes absolutely uh and it was like in a kind of similar vein but it was called rakugaki showtime and that did not get released in the united states but i had like an import copy of it uh and loved that and the uh yeah was it defenders of the universe is that what it's yes. called mm -hmm. it was yeah i remember at the time uh the little bit of like you know gameplay footage or like screenshots that existed it looked like it was going to be kind of similar in play to rakugaki showtime and i was really hyped about you know the idea of this game that never like got officially released in america but was awesome getting like an american kind of updated version with tiny tunes characters Dang. uh but yeah i don't know why it was canceled 
Well, no one does. <laughs> no one does. <laughs> Unknown reasons. I, at least <laughs> one guy does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should. But um, yeah, uh, those are those are all incredible picks, and um, thank you for expanding the conversation on Looney Tune gaming. And um, obviously, there's one out there right now that is a mobile app game called Looney Tunes World of Mayhem, which I cover usually on the podcast. Um, and uh, they release new character iterations and variations uh, weekly. So there's always something to latch on to, but it's a really fun RPG game that I've I actually heard really recommend. good things about it. It's so fun and it's so Looney Tunes. Um, it has like dived into more of the pay to play kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but there's ways around it. And, you know, if you can, uh, if you, can, you know, stomach it, it's, it's worth playing. And um, Elijah, you brought up virtual mortality. That is the David Gimmel short on yes. HBO Max, Max uh, where uh, bugs tricks Elmer into putting on these virtual reality goggles. And he just thinks everything is real, but really uh, he's just looking through broken glasses and it's it's such a good tricked. bit. It's, so, <laughs> Even just hearing it played out got me so, real bad. Yeah, the, the kind of conceit of it is that Bugs yeah convinces uh, Elmer to try virtual reality so he can finally catch a rabbit. Yes. But the virtual reality helmet is yeah, it's like a bike helmet with some goggles. And if you think that's great, wait till you get a load of this virtual bomb. Wow, it looks so dangerous. But it's not. Because it's virtual. You know, if this was reality, I would be freaking out right now. But because this is a virtual bomb, I have nothing to be afraid of. It's not virtual anything. It's he's just looking through goggles. Uh, but it, it gives him this, you know, kind of false confidence where as he's getting repeatedly hurt in these slapstick ways, he's like, wow, it almost feels real. I'm on fire. <laughs> and something I love about that, aside from just like... Like, at a glance, it's very, like, yeah, like, Looney Tunes cartoon absurdity. You know, I, it's a fun joke. But I'm I'm also a huge VR fan, and <laughs> multiple times I've, like, put someone in an Oculus Rift for the first time and had them play something, and watching them react, like, I, I had my brother play, like, a shooting game, and, you know, I'm looking on the screen at what he's seeing, and I watch him in first-person virtual reality get shot in the chest with a shotgun, and in real life, clutches his chest and almost falls over because he was so immersed in it that he's like, I, I was just shot. I've died. I'm, I'm gone now. And I, I love it because I can, it, it's so close to like, no, that could happen. Like I could see myself in VR being like, wow, it feels like I'm actually on fire. This is incredible. And just, and just not register that real danger was happening to me. It is one of those shorts that really sticks with you after you see it. So I I highly recommend that one. And uh, you can catch all the new Looney Tunes cartoons on HBO Max streaming now. And I think we have a new one dropping this week. I could be wrong, but uh, there was something teased for April Fool's. Um, So either it was a joke or we're going to have a new cartoon to watch. Either way, it's a win for us because there's new Looney Tunes content out there. And uh, I know that new shorts are going to be coming in another batch uh, next month. So there's something always to look forward to. Um, just to quickly run down uh, games that we haven't, we didn't like fully talk about, but have left an impact on my childhood would be the Daffy Duck, the Marvin Mission, uh, which is a Duck Dodgers game for SNES uh, by mm-hmm. Sunsoft. Um, 
Roadrunner's Death Valley Rally, which was a terrible game. Um, it has you play as Roadrunner as you're trying to escape uh, Wiley Coyote from catching you. But then it goes to space and you have Marvin the Martian there. And I don't understand why we went to space. <laughs> Always go to space. Always go to space. But also the mechanics of that game were really hard. You're trying to run away, but I, everything feels like you're in slow motion. I was going to say, I remember the movement because he takes a second to like accelerate. Yes. And so you, you like, you don't actually feel fast, but then when you start moving fast, you can't really control it. It was... It's like the ice levels of other video games right. that no one likes. It was uh, so difficult. Fantastic comparison. It's like the yeah. entire game is an ice level. <laughs> oh, it was rough. It was really rough. And I wanted so desperately to beat it because I love those characters. But I could not. I could not get myself uh, to get through it. Um, Rabbit's Rampage, which is another Bugs Bunny game and almost a remake of that earlier game I talked about, uh, which was a celebration of Bugs' 50th. This had a, obviously it was a parody of uh, Duck Amuck and using the Rabbit Rampage cartoon uh, transitioned into a video game. It had Bugs Bunny and he was going through all these different worlds trying to collect uh, these paint buckets and putting together the cartoon back and uh, running into all the characters that you know and love as enemies. And uh, that was always fun to me. There was nice. Yeah. Did you guys ever play that one? I, I don't know that one actually. Okay. Which, I would recommend yeah. it if you, if you can find a retro gaming system um, yeah. or, or Twitch it. Um, and then we had two games that I absolutely must highlight, which are two basketball games and Looney Tunes and basketball <clears throat> usually go really well together. If you don't know, usually on a jersey, yeah, <laughs> usually on a jersey. <laughs> and um, so one of them is a is a game uh, based on Space Jam, and you actually played mini games of scenes from the movie. So there's a scene where you and Daffy have to go steal Michael Michael Jordan's shoes, and you have to watch out for his dog Charles. And I remember yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> And in the meantime, there's a game going on. And so like you cut back to the basketball game and, you know, do your thing. And it's really fun. I highly recommend it. I had a lot of fun playing it. And the other stuff. one is street ball basketball, which is uh, Bugs Bunny B-Ball. And that oh, game that's was right. phenomenal. If it's you... legitimately a very fun, like a good basketball it game. Is. Yeah. If you take the Looney Tunes and you put them on a court, what do you want them to do? You want them to do their own special moves that are loony. And that is what they gave these characters. So you pick amongst a roster of six people and you have a two on two and they basically have specials that you can charge up to. And then Bugs Bunny will cross dress to, you know, put a defensive defensive line on, or you would have uh, somebody who uh, like Yosemite Sam, like shoot the ball from half court into the, into the hoop and uh, nothing but that. So like, you know, it, it had different mechanics to it that were so unique to a basketball game that I have yet to see since, which is really weird because we have so many blitz games and, you know, yeah. all those other arcade games based around, I mean, we have NBA on NBC um, and NBA jam. Uh, those were also great uh, for basketball, but um, nothing as loony as yeah bugs bunny b-ball no i'm i'm such a sucker for any uh like over the top super like arcadey or fantasy version of a sports game because like i am not 
necessarily like a huge uh sports person and so a lot of the ones that are more like like direct simulation like a madden or a fifa uh i i get lost in the the nuance of it i'm yeah. like i feel like i don't know enough about football to be good at a madden game that's me with nhl games yeah, yeah but when you give me you know something where it's like oh but the quarterback has a you know special where he lights the ball on fire and throws it a thousand miles an hour i'm like yes <laughs> that's what i want <laughs> I feel like this is a lot of the Def Jam games for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Def, Jam, Def Jam. Yeah. NBA Street. There's, there's been some good ones. Yeah, you know? those are good ones. Um, so, yeah, that does it for all the, the games I wanted to highlight. Are there any that you wanted to highlight that we have not talked about or did we cover it all? I covered mine, Elijah. No, I, I got I got mine in there with Buster's Bad Dream. Yeah, I know. Cool. You're I've, been, I've been waiting for that soapbox for twenty years. So. <laughs> I'm so glad I could supply that for you on a Looney Tunes podcast, unlike any other. Perfect. So what <laughs> what a wonderful way to wrap it up. Thank you both for being on and please tell people online where they can find you. So basically I had a different one and then I had to change it because of my last name. So now I'm N E S S Guerrero on Twitter and SNAS Guerrero on Instagram. Uh, and then you can find me every uh, Tuesday and Wednesday on G4, uh, whether it be twitch.tv slash G4 TV or YouTube slash attack the show uh, that changed now. Uh, and uh, you can also find our podcast kicking and screaming on all forms of social media under kick Scream pod. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Elijah underscore pizza. Uh, and that's all I've got. Cause I don't do as much as she does. <laughs> Love the pizza, though. Love the pizza at the end. Oh, same, same. <laughs> it was because I only got Twitter uh, to take place in a uh, like a pizza sweepstakes. It was like Pizza Hut was giving away pizzas, and I was like, all right, I'll make an account just for this, and then I kept it forever. <laughs> and then you got doxed by Pizza Gators. <laughs> oh, that's true. That was a whole thing. Wow. <laughs> well, we love pizza here, so no shame. Thank you. No shame. Yeah. And you can follow the podcast everywhere at This Means Pod or This Means Podcast. And be sure to like, subscribe, and follow this podcast wherever you see it. Share it with friends and continue the loony conversation wherever you go. And of course, you realize that's not all, folks. Have a good one.